If you have a Bible close by uh, or can share with someone, then that would be great. Maybe you have a phone app. You can open that up to Mark chapter 14. I'll tell you a story about uh, a man named Harry Collin. Harry Collin was head of the Columbia Movie Studios years back. He had a brother from New York City who would come and visit him on occasion, but he always complained. And he always tried to tell him how to do his work better and what was wrong with the way that he did things. And so they would get in these heated arguments, as brothers can often do. Well, one day his brother's uh, criticism got to him, and so they got in probably a a more heated argument than ever before. And so in response and trying to get a jab in on him, he just changed the nature of the conversation with his brother. And he stopped and he said, You know what? I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And his brother said, what in the world does that have to do with anything all of a sudden? He said, I'm just saying, I bet you can't recite the Lord's Prayer. And his brother paused for a minute and he said, man, I tell you what, okay, here we go. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, amen. Harry looked at his brother and he said, man, I can't believe it. I didn't think you actually knew it. Well, we know that's not the Lord's Prayer, right? How many of you learned that prayer growing up? But his brother was awfully critical of him. Well, in Mark chapter 14, we're going to begin with verse 3 through verse 9. And I'm going to be bringing a message I've just entitled, Our Best for Jesus. So in verse 3 of Mark chapter 14, the Bible says, In being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper... As Jesus sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were there who were indignant among themselves, and they said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do for them. But me, you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So I want you to think about the setting here. I want you to envision this in your mind. And we can put some things together from the other Gospels as well that help us to create a better context and a a full setting for this. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was the brother of two women, Mary and Martha. They were all close friends with Jesus. and, And Lazarus became sick and died. And four days after he died... They summons Jesus. Well, they summoned him sooner than that. But four days after he died, Jesus comes and he calls Lazarus back to life. And so picture with me that they're all there together celebrating what Jesus has done. There's a a table and a feast perhaps that's been prepared. Jesus and Lazarus are there talking. A number of notable guests have also come because they've heard the wonderful news. Martha is perhaps in the kitchen cooking, and Mary, we would find, perhaps sitting at the feet of Jesus. She had a great love for the Lord, the Scripture tells us, and she gets up, perhaps, without notice and and slips away, and then a couple of minutes later, she comes back, and she has 
what some translations say, an alabaster box. It's a flask. It was filled with a very expensive ointment, and it was known uh, around the land for its wonderful fragrance. It was a very valuable ointment. She breaks the seal of the flask, and she pours perfume over the head of Jesus, and it trickles down his hair. It trickles down on his shoulders. Her actions to us today would seem very odd, very peculiar. But in that day, that was something honorable. That set someone apart as being an honored guest. That was someone who, in someone else's mind, was in a position of greatness and value. And there was weightiness. Weightiness given to them. Honor. That's what honor and worship is. It was weightiness giving weight and worth. To an individual. That's what she was doing when she broke this flask open and poured this expensive perfume on his head. She was just showing and expressing honor to Jesus. Now, normally, such expression wouldn't include such expensive ointment, but Mary doesn't care about the cost. In fact, she even gets down on the ground and with tears running down her cheeks, she takes her long hair. She wipes away the tears from her eyes. She's very overwhelmed. Then she wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair and she praises Him. Jesus recognized the significance of her actions. And He calls it a good work. He said it's a work that would never be forgotten. And I want to show you from this story... A few things as how this continues to be relevant to our lives. Sometimes we look at the, the stories in Scripture and we say, well, it's the big question, isn't it? How does this relate to me? How can I put this into action? How will this strengthen my faith in some way? Well, I just want you to show you that it is relevant to our lives because we are worshipers and servants of the Lord just as a woman was who honored Him with her oil. I want you to see, first of all, that it was a misunderstood work. Verse 4 says, some who were there were indignant among themselves. In other words, they started chattering, didn't they? When people get indignant about something, they get together. They find people of like minds and like concerns and they start chattering. That's what they were doing. They wanted to know why she would waste such an expensive oil by pouring it out on Jesus' head instead of selling it and giving it to the poor. That oil, the Bible says, was worth more than 300 denarii. Folks, that's a year's salary. An average salary of an entire year. That's what that meant. And that's what we could think about today. Okay, what's the average person make in a year? We would take that thought and we would say, would I be willing to take something that valuable and just pour it out on Jesus and give honor and glory to Him? Some said, what a waste. We could have sold that and given that money to feed the poor. And who was leading out in that criticism? Well, we know from other passages as well that it was a man named Judas. Judas was leading the criticism. He's the one who would later betray the Lord Jesus for some silver. And here he is, sounding so pious, sounding so super righteous, isn't he? And acting concerned about feeding the poor. But the truth is, Judas was nothing but a thief and a hypocrite. See, John chapter 12, verse 5 says that Judas was keeper of the money box for the disciples. And as keeper of the money box for the disciples, the Bible tells us he would often put his hand in the money box and take from it what he wanted. So Judas was a thief. He stole from the disciples' funds that they received to do ministry with. And so what he saw when he saw her pour that expensive 
way, he saw a year's salary going down the tubes that could have been in the money box under his watchful care so that he could dip into it from time to time. Judas saw a missed opportunity to steal some money. So what does he do? He begins to critic. He can't stand there and say, look, I could have stole some of that money. What are y'all thinking? Well, that'd be ludicrous, wouldn't it? He would just implicate himself. Oh, no, what he does, he does like a lot of people. He just stands back and he starts criticizing the faithful one. This one who's come to pour herself out on Jesus, he criticizes Mary's devotion to the Lord. And I would just say this, how easy it is to criticize people for what they're trying to do for Jesus. A family sat down for Sunday lunch after having gotten home from church. As they were eating, the father said, Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but it seems like that guitar was a little bit too loud for me. His teenage son said, Well, that sermon was boring, I can tell you that, Dad. The mom said, There wasn't a single song I knew, so I didn't like a song that they sang. The daughter said, Well, look at it this way, guys. At least we got our money's worth. Dad only put in a dollar when the offering went by, so we didn't get ripped off. You know, there will always be people who find it easy to criticize what you're doing for the Lord and the way that you do it. But I want to give you three reasons just quickly under this first point why you should pay little attention to those who are critical at heart. First of all, pay little attention to those who criticize what you're doing for the Lord because Jesus knows how to be your defender. Jesus can be your defender. In verse 6, the Bible says, When Judas criticized her for pouring out this ointment, in praise to the Lord, he said, leave her alone. She's done a what? Good work for me. She's done something good for me. She's doing something marvelous. He became her defender. You know, a woman didn't have a lot of defense in those days. For a woman to speak out or even to act out like that, those who were around perhaps just saw it as, you know, She shouldn't be here. Just the men should be here right now. What's she doing? Somebody catch her. Somebody stop her. But she was praising her Lord. He said it was a good work. The second reason you shouldn't pay attention to your criticizers is because trying to fix others who aren't spiritually well will cause you to become weary. Judas is the one who had a problem. Mary didn't have a problem. She can't fix Judas. She could argue. She could debate. She could try to stand her ground. She can't fix Judas. Judas has a heart problem. Mary didn't have a heart problem. She was giving honor to Jesus. Here's a third reason why you shouldn't try to uh, worry too much about your critics. And that's this. Because there will always be people who fail to understand the spiritual significance of what you do for the Lord. There will always be those who just don't get it. That's how we say, that's how my teenagers say, Dad, you just don't get it. You're, you're old. You know, that's what I hear all the time. You're old. They love to poke fun at me. You know, people will not always understand the significance of your decisions. The spiritual significance of even coming to worship. Some of you young people may be sitting here today and you say, oh, I didn't want to come to church today, you know. And I, I just As long as we get out of here on time, because he went long last week, you know. I don't want to go to youth group, you know, because my best friends aren't at youth group. Your parents are they're sitting here saying, you need to go to youth group. We need to go. I want to go. And sometimes we feel guilty and we want to give in to you, our young people. 
But the truth is, maybe as a young person, we don't understand the spiritual significance right now of what's taking place in your heart and your life. But later, you'll look back and you'll say, I wished we'd have gone more. One day, you'll see your own children going up. You'll say, and they're going to ask questions. Amen? Children ask questions. You're going to say, uh, we talked about that. Once or twice, I can't quite remember. We didn't go all the time. Listen, don't, don't criticize your folks. It's easy as a young person to be a critic towards your parents. And you know, it's just as easy for us to criticize our young people for not getting it. But you know, there's just an age difference there. There's a maturity difference there when it comes to understanding the spiritual significance of what's happening. And so I would encourage you both, whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, whether you're a youth, Try to understand the spiritual significance. But when it comes to worshiping the Lord, do not try to fix people who just don't get it about the spiritual significance of serving the Lord. They don't see value in you giving personal time to fixing things around the church. They won't see value into you wanting to study your Bible so that you can teach the children, so that you can lead some of the youth, and so that you can minister to other adults. People don't always understand the idea of worship and of giving worth, such worth to the Lord. And they just say, I don't get it. I heard the other day that they're giving 10% of what they earn to the church. The church doesn't need that money. Did you see that nice church that they built down there? They don't need any more money. Well, you're not giving it to the church. You're giving it to the Lord. The church is a steward of it. They're just managing it to do ministry. It's not wasteful for you to pour out your time and your talents and your, your tithe in service to the Lord Jesus and His gospel. What is wasteful is going through your entire life and getting toward the end of it and recognizing, realizing, I've done nothing. I've invested nothing or little in the kingdom of God. That's a waste. That's a waste. When Mary poured out this expensive perfume, she got down on the ground and she wiped his feet with her hair and with her tears. She was saying to Jesus, nothing in my life is more valuable to me than to have this opportunity to worship you. Jesus, you're everything to me. That's what she was saying. It was a good work, but it was a misunderstood work by some who were there. Secondly, I want you to see that it was really a meager work too. In verse 8, Jesus responded, she's done what she could. She's done what she could. Her gifts, her abilities were so meager, so limited. Jesus knew her. He knew there wasn't a lot she could do. Maybe she just wasn't one of those talented folks. You know the kind I'm talking about? Just stumble all over themselves. They can't fix anything, can't really do much of anything. No, I'm not looking at anybody right now. I'm looking right down here, okay? I don't know you, so you can't come say he was talking right to me, okay? You know those eight-cylinder Tober charge, high-octane kind of people, those talented ones that are like Martha, the go-getter. You know, Martha in the Scripture, she was a go-getter. Martha seemed to be the type that if there was something needing to be done while everyone was going and having their little meeting, trying to decide what committee they could assign the work to, she's over there getting it done. And she's got it done by the time they elect a chairman. And so she comes back, oh, it's done. We've just got it done. That's Martha. She would serve guests, feed guests, clean up, and do everything. She was like one man's wife. He said he woke up in the middle of the night because he had to go use the restroom. And when he came back, his wife got out of bed and had the bed made up already. I mean, he just could no sleeping time at all. She was just that kind of a lady. 
That's the kind of person Martha seems to be like, but not Mary. She was sitting at his feet and was probably thinking, here's Jesus. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. He is the Messiah. What can I do for him? These disciples, you know, Peter's pretty out there and kind of outgoing. He can preach. Martha's good at cooking and cleaning and in the kitchen, but what can I do? And she remembered that flask of ointment. It was the only thing of value, perhaps, that she had through which she could show Jesus how much he meant to her. Jesus said she did what she could do, and she has done a good work for me. And I'll tell you what, sometimes, and maybe you're sitting here and you feel like I do sometimes, you feel so inadequate Inadequate because you can't do some of the things that others can do. Preachers feel inadequate sometimes when it comes to ministry. And maybe you feel inadequate about your spiritual gifts and your talents. They seem to you to be so meager. But the only thing God holds you and I accountable to do are the things that He has equipped us to do. He doesn't hold us accountable for those things we cannot do. So we have to get this confidence in the Lord that we're okay with just doing what we can do for the Lord. When we give Him our best, He receives it and He uses it for His glory. And others may say to you, you know, you've got to put yourself first. Don't sacrifice so much time. I see you, how much time you're putting down in there at the, at the church. I see how much time you're working with those youth. But that church is never going to appreciate what you do. Don't, don't do so much. Look out for number one. Stop giving so much money to the church. They don't need it. Does the devil ever talk to you that way? Sure he does. Don't let the devil or others prevent you from worshiping Jesus and doing what you can do. I want you to see last, it was a meaningful work. Jesus says in verse 8, She's come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. So her actions really were very prophetic, weren't they? Way more than just pouring out anointment. She was prophesying in a sense. What she was doing was setting him apart for his death because spikenard was a very expensive fragrant ointment used to anoint the dead. And not only that, it was oil used when anointing a priestly king. They would pour that ointment on his head and they would lay hands and they would have him set apart as the leader. What a prophetic motion. What a prophetic movement. What a prophetic uh, vision of what was taking place here, setting apart the Lord Jesus as her priestly king, one, though, who was about to die. And just ten days after she anointed his feet with oil, Jesus was crucified and died and was buried in a tomb. And then early on, the, on that Easter morning, some of the women were walking to the tomb because they had not had time, the Bible says, to give him a proper burial. And the Sabbath was about to begin after they took him down from the cross. Therefore, they had to wait until the Sabbath had ended. And so when they arrived to the tomb, the stone had already been rolled away and Jesus was not there, the Bible says. And so there's no way for these women to take their spices and their spikenard and and this ointment and to anoint his body and give him a proper burial. He'd already been raised from the dead. Now I want you to listen to something. If Mary had not anointed the feet of Jesus when she did, 
she would have missed what would have been her only opportunity to anoint him. If she hadn't done what she felt in her heart that she was compelled to do, she would have had no other opportunity to do it. I think there's something in there for us. But because she did what she did with the best that she had, and she did it when the opportunity presented itself, she was able to bring honor and glory and praise to the Lord Jesus. She did not wait. She gave the best and only thing that she had. She did what she could do, and it was a good work, Jesus said. And so my question for you this morning is this. Are you doing your best for Jesus? Are you giving your best to Jesus? Let me say something. Some of you seated here today, you're going to wait too long. You're going to wait too long to give Jesus your all. Brother Crispin, I'm saved. I've given my life to Christ. Yeah, but you're going to wait too long to give Him your all. You've been listening maybe to me this morning about this alabaster flask, this expensive oil and how she poured it out on Jesus, but you're going to wait. You're not going to give Jesus all of your life. You're just okay with Him having a little bit of your life. And meanwhile, the weeks and the months will turn over into years and years passing by while you keep stored away in your closet, the closet of your heart perhaps, precious things, precious spiritual gifts, precious talents the Lord has given you, precious energy. How many of you would say you lose energy now that you're 60 and above? Anybody like that? Yeah, the rest of you are liars, just flat liars. And you're a young adult maybe today. You, you know what? You're full of energy. But you're storing it away for other things. You're putting it in your closet. I'll, I'll serve the Lord when the kids get out of high school. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll lead in something like that when the kids have all grown up. That's what I'll do. You're not ready to give Jesus everything. You've got those abilities stored away. And one day you're going to see that alabaster box, that flask, and you're going to see it and you're going to take it down. And you're going to open it up. And what you're going to find is these little critters have gotten in there. And over the course of the years, what you had is all dried up. Over the course of years, they've ruined it. They've taken from it. It's no longer useful because you waited for a more convenient time to worship Jesus. But your time is gone. Your abilities, they're not what they used to be. You'll find that your strength is gone. And you're going to find that the resources that you thought would be there one day didn't happen. They're still not there. He wants you to do what you can. Not wait for some fictitious day that's not coming around where you say, voila, now is the perfect time. Now is the convenient time. Don't waste your time. Don't forsake your purpose like that. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, the Apostle Paul makes clear our purpose. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you walking in the good works that God prepared beforehand for you to do that bring worship and glory and honor to his name, that give weightiness and worth to who he is? Here's the life principle I want you to walk away with today on this. And that is just simply this. I have been created by God for good works. 
Now you can write your little sub-notes if you want. Therefore, why should I wait? Therefore, what am I waiting on? Therefore, why would I allow others to criticize me and get me down or make me afraid? He has given me gifts and talents and abilities and resources to do some things for Him. Why would I wait? He is my Lord and Savior. How else can I express that to Him? By serving Him. That's it. I serve Him. That's the only way I can express that. I've put my faith in Him. How do others know who He is to me? I worship Him in my life. I serve Him. How does He know you serve Him? I have been created by God for good works. 